Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, public health for the public. My name is Dr. Philip Chan from the Rhode Island Department of Health. Today, we're talking with the mayor of Providence, Brett Smiley, about the city of Providence, our state capital, and its health priorities moving forward. Mayor Smiley brings to the table over a decade of experience in public service. He has formerly served as the first chief operating officer of the city of Providence, chief of staff to former governor Gina Raimondo, and Rhode Island's director of administration. Mayor Brett Smiley, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And uh, I've been back to Veterans Memorial Auditorium a few times for concerts and arts events, and I can't think of that space the same ever again after you and I and so many other dedicated public servants spent months of our life in that building briefing Rhode Islanders on the latest news from the pandemic. Certainly a life-changing event, certainly as a physician, something I hope to never witness again uh, in my career. One is enough, is what I tell people. There you go. So Mayor Smiley, why don't we start off uh, for people that may be listening, that may not uh, know much about you personally. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what made you want to be mayor of Providence? So I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I don't come from a political family or anything, but when I was in graduate school at DePaul University, a friend of mine ran for city council. And so I started helping on his campaign just because he was a friend from the neighborhood association that I was active in. And I kind of caught the political bug from there. And so I started to get more and more involved politically. This coincided also, I'm a, a gay man. And as I came out, I started to get more involved in LGBT rights, you know, more of an activist. And so my professional life and kind of personal life started to convene and I, I got uh, really involved in politics and campaigns and found myself in Rhode Island in 2006 as the campaign manager for the governor's race that year. Shortly after I moved here, I met the man who is now my husband and in an experience that I now realize many, many people have had, I married a Rhode Islander a short time later. And when you marry a Rhode Islander, you marry Rhode Island. And so uh, what was supposed to be a 10-month job turned into 18 years later, I'm the mayor of the capital city. But I got more and more involved in city government, particularly having had a chance in various roles to help Mayor Cicilline, then Mayor Tavares, and then Mayor Lorza, and was then and remain now particularly passionate about the ability to actually help people on very tangible, everyday decisions that happen in city government. Everything from public safety in your neighborhood to the quality of your public school to, you know, the little stuff and picking garbage up on time and filling potholes. And I think there's, you know, there's enough reasons for cynicism in national politics, but in local government still basically works. And, uh, and, and I found that to be very fulfilling. And when there was an opportunity to run for mayor, I availed myself of that opportunity and, and excited and humbled to be here, the 39th mayor of the city of Providence. Well, thank you so much for your work uh, in general and your work here as mayor. Uh, it's sometimes the little things we take for granted, right? Like the paved roads and the picking up of garbage. You know, I'm reflecting about the what's going on in other countries like France, and that's a big problem, right? Not even picking up garbage. So, so question for you: What is it like being mayor? I'm sure a lot of people are wondering that. Is there anything you you've been the mayor now for a few months uh, at least, and anything you didn't expect? Anything, anything you did expect? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So my background, as you know, how we met was as a, a government staffer and, and the transition from staff to elected official, it's a transition. I mean, it's a real change. 
And so, you know, my inclination, and this is something that I've had to work at, my inclination is to want to be in the office working every day. But there's also kind of public responsibilities that go along with this. Everything from cutting ribbons on new businesses in our city to, you know, attending regrettably wakes and funerals for, you know, uh, citizens and families who've lost a loved one in the city. And there's a whole kind of public role to this job that... <clears throat> that I've had to grow into and realize that I've got a, a, a team of really talented people who can actually do some of the work that I used to do, but there's no one else who can do some of those public jobs. People want the mayor to show up. And that's been, uh, it's taken some effort, but it's also been some of the joy. I mean, back last month was reading week and I spent a lot of time reading to kids in schools, which is like a great way to start your days, to start with a bunch of uh, first graders and read a book. We're now in graduation season and I'll be at every high school graduation in Providence. And uh, it's really special to be able to share that moment for families and young people as they embark on their next chapter. It's a, it's a big moment. And so it's been good. I mean, there are, there are definitely some real challenges and I think we might touch on it a little bit down the road, but the federal government to their credit uh, flooded states and cities with uh, money during the pandemic. And that helped actually lessen the impact of the pandemic and particularly the economic impact of the pandemic. Uh, but those monies are running out. And so there's some, some pretty serious financial challenges on the horizon that we need to, need to deal with in Providence, but in every other city and the state itself is going to be having this day of reckoning as well. And we're experiencing a housing crisis and the problem with the unhoused and housing insecure is a is a daily challenge in the capital city and something that weighs really heavily on me personally and on our whole team. Yeah, thank you for that. Let's touch on a couple of those issues. First off, you mentioned this. I, I do remember our experiences, of course, during the COVID pandemic and just thinking about the city of Providence. Are, are we back to normal? What's what's changed? What hasn't? Where we have to go? Yeah, I mean, some things are back to normal. You know, there's people who say like there's a the new normal or, or what have you. The way in which we work has changed and the number of people coming to work in Providence has significantly decreased from where it was. So I talk to a lot of major employers in Providence regularly and, uh, and almost none of them have all of their employees in the office every day. Uh, most of them are working some sort of hybrid schedule. And the effects of that are, are meaningful on our city and on, our, on its businesses. And so downtown during the day, during the week is less vibrant than it was pre-pandemic. The restaurants and hotels have started to recover. And, you know, the hotels and restaurants in particular on the weekends are actually doing quite well. And I would say are, quote, back to normal. But during the weekdays are still struggling to get back to pre-pandemic levels. The housing market, you know, is sort of the other end of that same spectrum of the of the work issue and that more people are home all day. And so some neighborhood businesses are actually doing quite well because people are staying in the neighborhoods all day. And our housing stock, apartments and homes are full, you know, something like 97% occupancy of our of our apartments in the city of Providence, which effectively means full. That's that 3% that's not occupied is probably getting repainted or repaired, and then it will be leased as soon as that's done. And then most importantly is the impact on children in our school system uh, is definitely not back to normal. And the long-term effects of the pandemic, I think, will be with us for some time. Uh, not just learning loss, although including learning loss, but the social and emotional growth that our kids missed out on 
three years of the lack of socialization and other supports that happen in schools um, is, is serious. I think those kids are going to carry at least a piece of that with them through their whole lives. For sure. Absolutely. And I want to expand upon one thing that you touched on here, which is housing. I think if we think about housing, a lot of uh, people are, are concerned about housing from a public health standpoint. Housing intersects so many other problems, right? Substance use, opioid crisis, which we may touch on in a second. But yeah. housing in Providence, what is the solution here? Is it simply a matter of we need to build more housing or is it more than that? Uh, I think it's primarily that. I think, I think our housing problem is primarily a supply problem. We simply do not have enough homes and apartments. And so we need to build and we need to build more dramatically more. And so, you know, I'm unapologetically pro-growth and pro-development and will remain so. And thankfully, some of the challenges that you hear about in the suburbs and exurbs and rural areas in Rhode Island and certainly other places in the country. We don't experience some of that in Providence. I think people generally are supportive of growth here and certainly people are supportive of affordable housing here that has faced some nimbyism or other local backlash in other communities. But we need to build more. The other piece is the affordability piece. You know, and I would say that that again, supply is the main driver on price, whether that's rent or home ownership. Um, but we do need subsidy. And, and so permanently subsidized affordable housing is critical. And, and we're talking about it now, uh, but for many years we weren't. It's not just very low income housing, which we need, but also what's been termed workforce housing, which is you know, less subsidized uh, housing for folks that just can't quite make ends meet. So I think about if you're a family of four, and your household income is $100,000. You know, to many people, that might seem like a crazy amount of money, but it's still very difficult to find a place to rent with an income like that. I mean, and that could very easily be one parent is a school teacher and the other parent is a police officer. Good luck finding a, you know, a suitable home for a family of four at that price point. And so slightly subsidized housing for people who are working, but just can't quite make it happen. Uh, is is equally important. And so we're pushing both deeply subsidized low-income housing, but also workforce housing subsidies into the city in addition to market rate. The other thing I would add is in this conversation, at least in the public discourse, there's regular conversations, and I think a lot of it focuses on rental affordability. Home ownership is still very important, and I don't want to lose that in the mix. Someone's home is still the largest investment for most Americans and, and the primary source of a retirement income or the ability to pass something on to your kids to start to build generational wealth. And so having a, an entire generation of permanent renters is not healthy for society. And that's how we lose out on wealth generation, particularly as we think about this with an equity lens for marginalized communities that previously have not been able to accumulate wealth. Home ownership is really, really important. And so I know the state has some good programs the city does as well to help people with things like down payment assistance, uh, rate buy downs, particularly now as interest rates are higher than they have been in recent years, uh, to make sure that first time home buyers and first generation home buyers can access the housing market as an owner to build wealth is, is another piece of the puzzle. Let's talk for a second, too, about the uh, the opioid crisis uh, here in the state of Rhode Island, specifically in Providence. I know that that's been on your radar as well and tangentially is, of course, affected by housing, uh, et cetera. But what, is your, what are your thoughts on the opioid crisis? We are seeing 
you know, the highest number of opioid deaths ever, uh, more than one a day here in our state. A lot of them are coming from uh, Providence in general. What are your What are your thoughts about that? It's been a priority for us at the Department of Health, of course. I know for the city of Providence as well. Rido's done a great job on this, you know, very serious, life threatening problem. Um, you may or may not know I'm a person in long term recovery myself and a former board member of Ricares and have been active as a volunteer before my elected life, helping folks struggling with addiction and substance use disorder to find recovery. And in Providence, we are we're trying everything um, because lives are at stake here. And so we're certainly trying to help folks find recovery and, and supporting initiatives like Anchor and others with peer recovery coaches. Uh, we are very active in um, risk mitigation strategies and aggressively pushing uh, Narcan and, and other strategies um, to try to solve the short-term problem of overdose deaths. And, and Providence is going to be home to the first uh, safe consumption site in the state and it'd be the first state-sanctioned safe consumption site in the country. And so, uh, you know, we've been working very closely with the operators of that site to license and site and then uh, open here in Providence, hopefully pretty soon, uh, as yet another tool in the toolbox to try to save lives. And it's nice to live in a community, honestly, that uh, is progressive and open-minded and, uh, and frankly, has not really met that much backlash in uh, what is a, you know, a, a new idea, certainly in America, and uh, uh, and something that probably would be controversial other places. But we see it every day. And you know, I, I touched earlier on the the challenge around um, the housing crisis and the, those that are unhoused. And there's a there's an undeniable overlap between individuals struggling with substance use disorder and mental health challenges and the inability to um, either seek shelter in the shelter system or find permanent housing. And so, you know, these issues are interwoven. And so uh, we're really grateful for everything that Rido is doing to help try to meet the need in the community. But it is a, it is a, a major and growing problem and, and something that uh, our Office of Healthy Communities, which is the city department that works on this, the Providence Police Department, the Providence Fire Department work on. Providence Fire, through the Rescue Division, um, you know, started a, what they call the Safe Stations Program, where anyone can show up at a Providence Fire Department uh, without fear of any criminal justice involvement to seek help or get connected with treatment. And then, uh, you know, we're regularly working with other community partners on risk mitigation strategies. Well, thank you so much for supporting the overdose uh, prevention centers as well. I mean, that, as you mentioned, is an evidence-based, uh, supported by data. They've had a couple, a number across the world, including in Canada, that have really shown how effective they are uh, at addressing fatal overdoses and substance use in general. So thank you for supporting that on behalf of Providence. And we are excited to see about the public health impacts of that. And just a public health reminder, too, for folks listening to uh, consider carrying or at least having access to Narcan, Naloxone, uh, again, really safe natal spray that can reverse overdoses, really incredibly safe. Uh, certainly, if you are in the city of Providence, consider uh, getting some yourself. It's now available uh, without a prescription, over-the-counter, et cetera, at your local pharmacy. So thank you, Mayor Smiley. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about, we touched on housing and, and opioid crisis. Any other health priorities that you have in your uh, tenure here over the next couple of years uh, for the city of Providence that you want to highlight? 
Yeah, I mean, the, there are some environmental factors in the city that we also take seriously and that contribute to family and, and childhood health, lead and other uh, living conditions that are meaningful to us. We, you know, have invested serious funds and will continue to do so, not just COVID-related ARPA funds, but also uh, community development block rack funding, CDBG funding for home repair funds. You know, another piece of the housing crisis is not just building more housing, uh, but also helping those who already have housing stay in their housing. And often for uh, low-income families, they have a, a hard time keeping up their house. So we have a home repair program that can help with lead paint mitigation. Uh, which is a major contributor to childhood health, and Providence Water, which is an affiliated quasi-city government agency that supplies all the drinking water to Providence residents, but also the drinking water to 60% of Rhode Islanders, has been and will continue to make progress on lead pipe replacement uh, through its service area. So in, in past years, they've made great progress on the water main, if folks don't know, the, the Providence Water itself owns the pipe in the middle of the street. Uh, the homeowner owns the pipe from the curb in. And because uh, regulations from the Public Utilities Commission, uh, ratepayer money can only go to the replacement of the main, but that sometimes results in the lead pipe in the house remaining intact. And uh, lead pipe replacement in a home can, can run around $3,000 maybe. And for a lot of families, that's just out of reach. And so uh, for the last five years, they've been offering a zero interest loan where they'll either do the work or, or give you the loans so that you can do the work depending on how the work's getting coordinated. Uh, and you can pay it off over five years with no interest. We were excited to announce earlier this week that Providence Water has secured grants to start to do more private side home lead replacement for free. So you don't even have to worry about the loan to take one more risk factor out of the equation. And because we care about equity in the city of Providence, we are targeting those grant dollars to low income neighborhoods uh, so that the families who are least likely to be able to afford the replacement themselves can access it. And so in a couple of years to come, we'll be doing several million dollars worth of lead pipe replacement on the service side, on the homeowner side, uh, again, to make our, our city healthier. You know, all these challenges are hard. I, I think a lot of people love Providence because it's a historic city, but the, the other side of that coin of being a historic city is we have historic infrastructure. And historic infrastructure is not always a good thing. And so whether that's, you know, uh, houses that were built when we were still painting them with lead paint, or pipes that were installed with uh, materials that we don't use anymore. Uh, it makes for a, a very expensive and pretty significant replacement prospect. And so we're making progress on it. It's gonna be years of work, but all of these things are contributors to family and childhood health. Absolutely, and I wanna encourage anyone listening to, if they have any questions about lead exposure to really check in with their pediatrician. You know, there is no safe level of lead in one's blood. And unchecked, it can lead to some significant neurological uh, problems. So just if you have any questions, uh, do check in with your pediatrician. It can be easily tested for with a blood test, et cetera. So thank you for that, Mayor Smiley. And I'm glad to know that you're watching over that and addressing it. And here at the Department of Health, we also have a lead monitoring program and are constantly monitoring this as well to make sure that it's not an issue for Providence or anywhere, frankly, in Rhode Island. So thank you for that, Mayor Smiley. 
The other thing I wanted to check on a little bit was about mental health. I think mm. from the public health standpoint, uh, we touch on some of the major issues. And from my standpoint, one of the other big ones as well has been mental health and especially the morale as we touched on coming out of the pandemic. I mean, I think everyone in public health, healthcare workers, but just everyone in general has had a little bit of a hit on their morale. And and what's your sense of morale in the city of Providence and just mental health in general and access? I mean, it's 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 highlighted as a huge public health priority. And even for my patients, everyone seems to struggle with getting into a mental health provider, et cetera. And any comments on that or uh, anything the city of Providence can do or people should know? Yeah, I mean, it is a challenge and access is a challenge. Uh, you would know uh, better than me, but but we struggle uh, sometimes due to reimbursement rates and other financial incentives to get an adequate number of providers to meet the demand. And that's a challenge. And it, and it generally ends up, like many things, affecting uh, lower income people disproportionately, either because of their, their form of payment, which might be Medicaid, or just a lack of access or transportation and other barriers. And so we're working hard. I mean, we can't do everything. And so our focus has been primarily geared towards mental health services in the schools and making sure that we've got uh, counselors for children in our school system as a great way to provide services that might not be accessible at home or otherwise. Uh, I, but I will tell you, I mean, I, uh, I remember meeting with a group of high school students uh, not too long ago, and we were talking about mental health, and they have a counselor in their school who they expressed gratitude for and 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 had reflected that they had a chance to talk with on their own. And one of the kids said to me, I really wish my parents could could go see them also, which was just kind of a heartbreaking thing to hear. And so first, I think, I do think as a community and, and maybe as a society to not be too grandiose, I do feel like we've destigmatized mental health care. Uh, or at least made progress in destigmatizing mental health care uh, in the last many years. And, and that's a start. Uh, we also have made great progress, as you well know, in insuring Rhode Islanders. Uh, and, and now we're one of the most highly insured states in the country. And, and that is that helps both in the willingness to ask for help and the ability to have some insurance coverage. As you also know, we've passed legislation to allow for mental health care parity um, so that mental health care must be, must be covered. And so a combination of continuing to support a healthy and thriving healthcare system with an adequate number of doctors uh, in the system is critical. But then, you know, thinking about other strategies, whether it's through our community health centers or other kind of community-based programs so that um, access is not denied, despite the, the fact that folks are insured in a kind of a triage sense, you know, we're going to continue to stay focused and not take our foot off the gas for, for childhood mental health uh, while we, you know, work collaboratively with the state and others on the adult mental health challenges. Yeah, and I'll also give a shout out to school guidance counselors and frankly, all those that work in public schools. I have uh, two kids in the public school system and uh, can't uh, overstate uh, how much I appreciate uh, people that work in that field. So thank you to everyone in the public school district for sure. I know You're it can here. be challenging at times. Yeah. Uh, and Mayor Smiley, I know that you've mentioned the police, the fire department, we've talked about teachers. Who do, when we talk about the city of Providence, do you want to give a shout out to your staff, to your team? Who do you who do you represent here? Give a shout out to the people that make this happen, the city of Providence run. It's everybody but me. I mean, the <laughs> the uh, and I say this maybe as a as a longtime government employee myself, 
you know, public service is, I think, hugely meaningful, and I hope listeners would consider pursuing that as a career, uh, but it is challenging. In many cases, it is not the, the highest paid job that one could find and, and is often subject to public scrutiny that doesn't exist in the private sector. Uh, but we have excellent leadership and really hardworking men and women in the Providence Police Department, in the Providence Fire Department, uh, certainly the team that I've assembled in my cabinet in city government, uh, wakes up every day thinking about how they can do right by the people of Providence, both the residents of Providence, the employees who work in Providence, and people who visit our city. Specifically on some of these topics, the city's Department of Healthy Communities does really great work and knows how to stretch a buck and access significant federal resources that we try to put to work right here in Providence. And there's a real spirit of collaboration amongst our team that that is, is really exciting. And so, um, you know, I'm grateful to all the, the city employees, certainly the school department staff that you rightly point out that, that come to work every day and, and make life better for the 200,000 people or so who call Providence home and the tens of thousands or more that are here in addition to that on any given day. You know, it's um, being the capital city is, is exciting, but it, you know, adds this additional challenge. We have another 25,000 kids who come to college here. And then, you know, because of our arts and culture and nightlife, there are thousands more that are in the city every day, and, and we, you know, we strive to keep them safe to make sure they have a good visitor experience, and, and that supports thousands of jobs and families as a result who, who work in the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry and otherwise. We're winding down here. Any final thoughts for people listening today? Um, I would just encourage anyone in Providence... And again, this is whether you're visiting, working, or living here. If you're interested in learning more about any of the things that I've talked about, the, the Mayor's City for City Services is easily reached through simply calling 311. 311 is the hotline for, for all questions, and they can connect you either directly with services or the city department that's responsible for it. It's the best way to reach us. There's also a PVD 311 app, and, uh, and that works well, too, if you uh are a young person and don't like picking up the phone, but are more comfortable with an app-based interaction that works. And uh, and we're here to help. and want to make sure that everyone gets to uh, enjoy and love the city as much as I do. Well, I want to thank again, uh, Mayor of Providence, Brett Smiley. Thank you so much again for sharing your vision and experience with us. Thank you, Dr. Chin. It's been a pleasure. In closing, I want to thank Erica Collins, our executive producer, and Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Philip Chan signing off on behalf of the Rhode Island Department of Health. Thank you all and be well.